Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff, and you're listening to the Double Clutch Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to the Double Clutch NBA Podcast. We're back after a week away. Apologies to that, but we do have other things to do other than talk basketball. As, <laughs> as much as me and Zach would love to sit here and talk basketball every day and get paid for it and stuff, that, that just doesn't happen. So we have to get on with the boring uh, reality. <laughs> yeah, life, life sometimes gets in the way of, of talking basketball, which is unfortunate because, like you said, Matt, we could do we could do a podcast every day and that would be fine, but other things, other considerations. Now, there's obviously been a lot happening over the past two weeks, so we thought we wouldn't cram it all in because it would probably be impossible. So we're going to just talk about the uh, the awards at the moment. So we're just going to sort of do our preliminary who we think you know is or isn't going to get the awards, and we're just going to highlight Steve Nash quickly because obviously he announced his retirement. I think it was yesterday, so we're recording this on a Sunday night, so the 21st, and he announced it. He put a post up on Twitter, and then there was an article on the uh, Players' Tribune, I believe it was, just saying that he was calling it a quit. So a bit of a sad day for NBA fans in general all over the world because Steve Nash has become one of sort of those transcendent players who, you know, even if you weren't into the NBA, you kind of almost knew who he was because he was a big, big sporting face, big football fan, you know, he's a Tottenham Hotspur fan, so he's always been fairly active, like over here in the UK. You would know who he was, even if you weren't necessarily... A basketball player, but you know, two-time MVP, unbelievable uh, seasons in Dallas and in Phoenix, and gave us some of the best basketball I think most of us have ever witnessed. Yeah, I think I think if you sort of um, grew up watching basketball like like I did in the in the early two thousands, and uh, you know the last let's say the last ten years, like Steve Nash was one of the guys that you just loved watching. Um, I think probably he's probably one of the best offensive basketball players of all time. Um, one of the greatest shooters ever to play the game. Like you just look at his list of seasons, the amount of seasons where he's averaged fifty percent from the floor, and obviously he did the the crazy uh, fifty forty ninety put up that line. I think twice. I think he's the only guy to do that twice: fifty percent from the field, forty percent from three point range, and uh, and ninety percent from the free throw line. So that's a crazy achievement in itself. But obviously he'll be known for those Phoenix Suns, Phoenix Suns teams, which came so close to winning a championship and a bad break here or there, but they were some of the most fun basketball teams in recent memory, just how they spread the floor and everything was Nash, uh, Amari Stoudemire pick and roll. And some of the things he could do, like the vision that that guy had on the court was just amazing. Like behind the back passes, finding guys, threading passes through the tightest of spaces. Like he was a joy to watch. And, and he made a lot of guys, a lot of money when you think about it. I mean, like just in terms of, getting guys the ball in the right situation so they could put up points. Um, a guy that springs to mind is like Mar- Martin Gortat, who, you know, was kind of a role player and he came to Phoenix from Orlando and suddenly he's playing with Steve Nash, like one of the greatest point guards of all time. And he was putting up, you know, 16, re- 16 points, 10 rebounds a game. Uh, but mainly because like he had Nash playing with him on the pick and roll and Nash was able to just get in the ball in those situations and made Gortat a lot of money in the end, you know, signs a big contract with the Wizards. Um, but there was a lot of those guys you could you could look at and say that uh, playing with Steve Nash really helped their careers. Yeah, the piece he put on the Players' Tribune was really interesting as well because he was very very um, well. He just basically threw all the credit at Mike D'Antoni. You know, he's been yeah. he's been a coach who's been who's taken a lot of heat the last few years. A lot of people have slagged him off for what happened in in Los Angeles, obviously with the Lakers. But at the end of the day, he did, as Steve Nash states, you know, change the game of basketball. The the game sure. that we've got today, the high tempo game that sees you know, a record number of threes being shot and teams running up and down the court is 
it's completely different from how it was sort of the, at the end of the 90s and the beginning of the 2000s as you had a period of sort of stagnant basketball almost and you yeah. had the odd players who who had that little bit of finesse and brilliance that would make the games come alive but a lot of the games were not as high tempo and as fast paced as they are today and I guess that's why the league is is so popular right now and he just was really you know good at commenting saying that look you've got to look at Mike D'Antoni and what he did it's not just the way I played but a lot of it comes down to him and the pieces he put around us and that team that's that Suns team that well was constantly knocked out of the playoffs but that was one of the you know the best offensive teams you will probably ever see in your entire lifetime they were that good yeah they were just they were they were crazy good like like you said like you had a period of in the 90s and i think i don't want to blame michael jordan for it but <laughs> it's so good that he could play one-on-one and there was a lot of one-on-one basketball and a guy like jordan get away get get, get away with it because he's so good unguardable but then you had a lot of players who lesser players are kind of trying to follow that mold and i think the the suns you know when they started playing that kind of pace and space if you will where you know you have like a a, a very athletic big man in stoudemire and then obviously like a a crazy good point guard in Nash, and then you just spread the floor with shooters. Like that just became the way, the way to go after that. And, you know, they, they got a lot, a lot of stick because they didn't ultimately end up winning the championship, but I think they just got unlucky. They ran into some really good teams in the Western Conference. You know, uh, they got to two Western Conference finals, I believe. They lost to the Spurs. I mean, there's no shame in losing to the Spurs. Uh, and then I think they lost to the Dallas Mavericks, uh, in 2006. So, back-to-back Western Conference Finals, and then they had that tough loss against the Spurs where I think uh, they had multiple players like suspended because they had that Robert Ori-Nash incident where Ori broke his nose and Amari stepped onto the court and that kind of changed that series. But but yeah, like, Stephen Nash is, is going to be a first-ballot Hall of Famer, two-time MVP. Like He turned that Suns franchise around. I mean, we talk about MVPs like the debate is, which I'm sure we'll have <laughs> in about five minutes, but... The debate is whether, like, should it go to the best player or the player who has, like, the most impact on a team? And I think Nash kind of, with his MVPs, it was like he turned a losing franchise around. And the next season, when the first season he came there from, from the Mavericks, they were a 60 win team. So, you know, he was the most important player that season for his team in terms of just flipping the, flipping the fortunes around for the Suns. So just a really fun player to play with. And I, I really hope that he isn't, and I'm sure this, he won't be, but, the last couple of years have been rough with with the Lakers. I mean, he's just been constantly injured, and you know he's he's a, he's up in age. It's not like he's he's you know a, a guy in his early thirties getting injured. Like he's had a long, long illustrious career, but um, you know he's had some issues. And I, I I want hopefully people remember him for those Mavericks and those Suns days, and not the last couple of years with with the Lakers because it's been tough. But the guy, you know, eight time MVP, two time uh, sorry, eight time All Star, two time MVP. He's a Hall of Famer for sure. Yeah, and he's one of the um, two-time MVPs who's going to... I think it's him and Karl Malone who haven't won an NBA f- title, so that's yeah. a rather awkward thing for them to have. <laughs> yeah, it's a little tough, but it just shows you, again, like, basketball's a, t- a team sport, and and uh, as as much as as much as we like to kind of rank guys on, on championships, it, you know, some of the greatest players who have ever played the game haven't won, you know, like you, you just mentioned too, and then, you know, your Charles Barkley, um, you know, those type of guys, like it's... It's a t- it's tough to win a title. It's just a bit of a bummer that his last few years have been so drab because the Lakers yeah. have just been awful. In 2012, when he was 37, they the, all the hype was you know was there, and everyone remembers the Sports Illustrated cover with him and Dwight Howard on the front. And it was like this is going to be, I think it was like this is going to be fun or something, and it just ended up being an absolute 
mess. So it's a bit of a shame we didn't get to see him play in Toronto. I think I'd have liked to see him play there for a year or so, but I guess you can't have everything. <laughs> yeah, and greatest, as you say that, uh, great, you know, bringing that up, Matt, greatest Canadian basketball player of all time. Like over here in Canada, there's obviously a lot, a huge amount of uh, of praise for Nash. Uh, you know, after yesterday's announcement, like he's he, he's been one of those guys who's kind of. Uh, He's brought like Canadian basketball to the to the forefront, and a lot of these guys like Tristan Thompson and Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Olynyk have like come out in in the last day and, and said like this is a guy who's kind of handled himself uh, with class on and off the court and was just kind of an inspiration to them growing up and in terms of like being a Canadian trying to make it in the NBA. So a ton tons of uh, it's it's big big news over here. The Prime Minister of Canada tweeted out uh, <laughs> praise for Steve Nash on Twitter, so so it was a big deal. I think him and um, Vince Carr are going to be those sort of two of those players who are going to be remembered in like Canadian basketball history as the sort of catalyst for everything. But um, yeah, moving on to, I guess we should start the, with the MVP race. I mean, we've spoken about it before, but it's still as highly contentive as ever. We don't really know who's going to win it. Um, I guess our preliminaries are still Stephen Curry, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, LeBron James, Andy Davis. I guess you could throw in somebody like you know, LaMarcus Soldiers or someone like that, but they're not in the same sort of calibre as those five that we just mentioned. Yeah, like Aldridge is kind of a fringe. I guess you could say Chris Paul too, who's having a phenomenal season, but I think we were talked about it on last, the last podcast we did. Like, Chris Paul just, he kind of, he's such an irritating player. I think I think he just gets a, a bad rap because of, because of how he is, uh, that people don't want to admit that he's having an awesome season, which he is, especially with, with Griffin out, but I think you're right, Matt. Like the five that you just mentioned are, are those. Those five are the, are the candidates, and I, I guess within those five, we could say that Davis and LeBron are probably not going to win it. LeBron just because of the two weeks off and the slow start, uh, and and also voter fatigue. Like voters kind of get sick of voting for the same guy over and over again. Um, and Anthony Davis, I just don't see the Pelicans making it at this stage, and I think he'd they'd have to be in the playoffs for him to win the MVP. So. I, I guess if it comes down between between Westbrook, Curry, and Harden, and they're all great candidates. Like Westbrook had another triple double today, and I, I read some stat that uh, there's been 27 triple doubles in the NBA, and Westbrook has 10 of them this season, <laughs> which is just insane. Like to have over a third of the triple doubles <laughs> that have taken place. So he's playing at an extremely high level. But I mean, you could almost uh, like if you wanted to then go further and dissect it a bit more, like the Thunder. Or, the eighth seed right now so maybe you have to give it to a, a player on a better team and so then you kind of narrow it down to, to Harden and, and, and uh, Steph Curry and uh, it's so hard to kind of to, to put a wedge between those two guys like it's so close um, I don't know what you think personally Matt but like in my opinion I'd give it to Harden uh, I know that the Warriors are the best team in the league but I just think that he Harden means so much to that team and I think if you took him off the Rockets it would be more detrimental than if you took Curry off the Warriors. Like it, just everything he does, he's essentially the point guard on that Rockets team. Like he, he creates so many shots for everyone. He gets the line. He shoots, and uh, you know, shoots three pointers, gets layups. Uh, his mid range games gives a great passer, like I said. And I think his defense has actually improved. Um, and I just think that with Dwight Howard out this season, he's had to do so much more for that team because you, you go through that roster and. Like they they're a solid team, but I think if Harden isn't playing the way he's playing, like that team could easily fall out of the playoffs. There's not another star on that team right now. So my nod for the MVP would be Harden at this point at this stage. Uh, I don't know what you think about that. 
Yeah, I mean, I wrote the I wrote the piece. Of, well, I can't remember. It was a month or two ago on the uh, yeah. on our website about the, the the MVP race, and I put I was putting it down to to Russell Westbrook and James Harden purely because of what they mean to their teams right now. You yeah. look at what's going on in Oklahoma. Durant has announced during our time off that he won't be. I think he's out indefinitely with a foot yeah. injury still because he's not making any progress. So they've they've actually made the smart decision to sort of just remove him um, yeah. from all basketball operations. So. It's an interesting to want to see what's going on there, and if they make the playoffs, how far can they go? If Westbrook keeps this up, I think it's his tenth triple double tonight. He's been in phenomenal form, doing historic things, you know, stuff that only Oscar Robertson has done in the NBA and Michael Jordan. So he has got to be in there. James Harden, I would agree with you. I think he's just done so much and means so much to Houston right now. If you take him out of that team, if he's injured and Dwight is playing instead, I don't yeah. think they'd be in the same sort of position because Dwight Howard. As great as he is, he's not the guy he was five years ago. He cannot, I don't think he could carry a team the way that James Harden has carried a team. And the biggest point you made is he's play, he can switch between two positions. But if yeah. Harden isn't playing, you've got what, Patrick Beverly and Jason Terry as your starting front court or back court, sorry. It's, that's just, that isn't what you want in, in the NBA. So I, I would put it with James Harden. But LeBron's, I guess he's got an outside chance because of what Cleveland have done. I mean, you look at where they are in the conference right now. They're second. They've, I think they've they've grabbed themselves a seed, haven't they, for the playoffs already? Which is crazy considering where, like, if we go back two months to me and you talking about them, we just we didn't really know what was going on with them, and they've completely pulled it around. Their home form is sensational. They're twenty six and nine at the moment at home. They're on a three game win streak. They've won forty six games. They've jumped themselves above Toronto and Chicago, and. I just don't think we we saw that happening, you know, a month yeah. or two ago. Yeah, and with LeBron, I think it's it. We get we get so um, we we sort of take him for granted, you know. We we expect these crazy lines that he puts up twenty eight seven and seven, or you know thirty ten and and twelve, and we just go, oh, it's LeBron. It's kind of to be expected, and and we forget that like those are like historic like numbers that he puts up on a consistent basis, and we just our expectation levels is just so high for him that anything that's like slightly below that, we go, oh, it's an average game like LeBron, but for any other player in the NBA, it would be a phenomenal game. And I read a stat from, a, for, I think, from a Cleveland uh, blogger. I apologize, I, I forget the name, but uh, he said that in the last uh, the, the last 26 games that the big three of Love, Irving, and LeBron have played, the Cavs are 24-2. and two. So, like, they're just, they're just rolling. Um, still issues on the defensive end, uh, of course, but that's not that's not really LeBron's fault. But um, yeah, like he's definitely. I guess this is one of those things. Like all five guys that we have, kind of shortlisted in our opinion, they're all worthy candidates. It's just like who do we think probably has more of a chance to win? I, I just think that LeBron, um, in any other season, he he would definitely be a higher contender. And you know, I I don't obviously I don't know for sure who's going to win, so he could still come come and win this, but. I just think in this season, just because there's been so many strong candidates, I, I just don't see him. I can see him finishing top three in voting, but um, but yeah, I, I can see him falling short in the MVP. But um, and I don't want to. I, I don't want to disparage like Steph Curry's season. Like he's he's phenomenal, and and Zach Lowe was mentioning the other day that like it, it's almost unfair to judge Curry on the fact that he has good teammates because he's taken. He obviously takes that team from being a good team to being a great team. And he does a lot for that team, obviously, in creating shots for other guys. And his passing is extremely underrated. And it's obviously, his handle is phenomenal. So so Steph Curry is... And, and, and Steph Curry may end up winning because if the Warriors end up with the best record in the in the league, they may look for, okay, who's the best player on the best team? And that's Curry. But uh, So he's well in contention, of course. But 
uh, again, might not. It just narrowly goes to James Harden. I guess the problem Stephen Curry's got is, like, at, right now, he is undoubtedly, and you, you might not agree, but he's on the best basketball team in the NBA. Like, the way they yeah. play, it's it's the best. Steve Kerr's just turned them into some sort of uh, monster. Clay Thompson's had a breakout year. He's doing things on both ends of the court, which, I mean, when he was drafted, I, I think Ethan Show Strauss wrote an article about how the, the Warriors have become this defensive monster that everyone's slightly scared of and there's a yeah. bit in that where he he spoke to clay and said you know did did the head office think you were going to be as proficient defensively as you are and he said no they just thought i was going to just score buckets so he's come out and you know proven to everybody that he can do more than just one thing draymond green has emerged and we'll talk about him later i guess but he's been another key part whereas you have just got sort of james harden sitting on that team almost by himself josh smith's come yeah. in had a little bit of an impact he's not exactly done you know, he's not exactly blown the roof off the place, but he's done, he's done well. Russell Westbrook's had Kevin Durant on an awful season. Then they've had these role players jumping in and out. And, like, you, you make a great point. Like, go through that roster, like, Josh, like, if Harden gets injured or, or is removed from that team, who scores on that, on that team? Like, are you going to rely on, like, a Trevor Ariza, who's more of a, a role player, defensive player, or, um, you know, a Josh Smith? Like, Patrick Beverly is a defensive point guard who, who's a nice spot-up shooter, but he's not really a creator. So there's really no one on that team that, like a second, uh, you know, a second scorer who can who can support Harden. Harden is just such an amazing playmaker and scorer that he creates open shots for everyone else because he draws so much attention in the paint uh, when he drives in there. So he does so much for that team. And, and, yeah, and yeah, again, that's my pick. He's, James, well, we've seen matchups this year. The, the Warriors and the Rockets games, when they've played, have been phenomenal. And, You've usually had James Harden getting the better of Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry's kind of looked a bit off on some of the big nights this year. You saw um, they played the Cavs recently. I think LeBron James came out and exploded that night, and yeah. Curry and, and Clay were both a little bit off. So I guess they're, they're going to be held against him too. But right now, for me, it's it's between. I think it's between James Harden and Russell Westbrook because I think if if Westbrook keeps this up and drags him in the playoffs, and even if he gets them higher than than the eighth seed, which I don't think is going to happen, but if he did. Then he's got to go in there because he's just been he's just been sensational in the in recent weeks, and I don't think you can you can just say because he's in, been injured for half the season that he doesn't get a look in. I think that would be a bit unfair. Um, but moving on again, rookie of the year. I think this is a one. I mean, you've got a bunch of guys here, but I just think it's Andrew Wiggins. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. Like uh, we we were running through our short list of like you know potential candidates uh, before the podcast and. You know, we, I had five guys down there just just for a conversation, but I, I agree with you about. It. I think Andrew Wiggins, um, you know, it, it's his it's his to lose essentially. Like he's, you know, a slow start, uh, but you know, the last two or three months he's been really consistent, especially for a guy his age, um, a guy who came into the league who you know a lot of people were sort of doubting whether he had like the offensive game to make an impact. Like he was always going to make an impact, uh, like defensively because he's already got that kind of athletic build. Um, the size to give to give wings problems, but you look at his numbers like he's almost averaging 16 points per game, um, four rebounds, which is solid. Uh, he's shooting, you know, 43%, which for a rookie is is fine. Like it's you know rookies are always going to have problems, you know, shooting the ball, especially on a team like Minnesota where there's no one getting double teams. So so he's getting a, all the basically the best defender from the other team uh, every night. He's having to deal with so so the numbers that he's putting up are are really really solid for a rookie um and i think he's I, I, we talked about him a, a few, maybe a month ago on the podcast like he's I, i'd say he's ahead of where you, 
Timberwolves fans would expect him to be at this stage yeah. of his career. Um, like he's shown, like obviously he's had the athleticism, like he can dunk in transition. Um, but he's shown like a really nifty little post-up game. Like he's got that kind of size and length where he can kind of back down smaller wings in the post, and he's he's got really good footwork. Like his his the knock on him was always, like I said, like like the mental side of the game. Was he like the alpha dog? Like did he have the Jabari Parker type? I'm going to take over this game mentality. And, you know, obviously that's still, he doesn't have that Parker drive in that sense, but like he has, the, he has really good fundamentals, uh, really good footwork, like really good hands. And, and I think that's, that's been on show this season. You beat me to it. His post-up game's been phenomenal for a guy his age in the NBA. It's just been great. He showed signs of it in college, but it wasn't as anywhere near as, you know, developed as it is now. And the fact that he's yeah. doing it against, the best players every night. I mean, we did mention it on, on a previous podcast. Like he's going up against the LeBron Jameses, and when you know when Kobe was playing and stuff, they these guys were going at him because if he's going to be the next big thing in this league, he needs to, you know, learn how to play against these guys because these guys have come in and LeBron's played against Kobe and Kobe played against Jordan. And if you're the next great big thing in the NBA, you've kind of got to push push yourself against them. But I think Miritich, who you've also got on your list, I think he could be in there but he hasn't played enough Chicago in a bit of a dodgy situation but he's been solid there's nothing wrong with him whatsoever he's been really solid and yeah. Alfred Payton would be sort of my second or third purely because he's just looked good when he has played for Orlando but they've, they've, they've had bad coaching for like the f- well the first two two quarters of the season so I think that comes down to that but Andrew Wiggins is out in front by a mile and that meant that Timberwolves team like they've become mildly competent since they got Kevin Garnett, so that's a bit a uh, bit of a weird one going on there. Yeah, like they're actually you look at their starting five, and I think one of their issues that they, they were never going to be a playoff team, but like they had a lot of injuries. Like Ricky Rubio is out, you know, Pekovic is kind of in and out a bit. And uh, once they get their like starting five on the on the court, they're they're a competent team, like you said. And who knows, like that team was in the Eastern Conference, and you know yeah. they had they were injury free from the beginning of the season. There's no reason why they wouldn't be challenging for an eight seed. They definitely have enough talent on that team. Um, yeah, you may mention Miritich. Like he's been really good. Uh, had a great game against the Raptors, but yeah, his, his minutes kind of fluctuate. And uh, so you know, someone was mentioning that Miritich should have great consideration just because the Bulls have a better record. But I mean, that's not down to Miritich. That's just no. down to the fact that the Bulls are a better team than than the Timberwolves, and they play in a weaker conference. So you know, that's unfair. I mean, he's he's having a good season, like you said, but Wiggins is. Wiggins is a guy that the the defenses are focusing on. Like he he's he's like one of the main men in on his team, and so he's getting so much attention. Miritich is almost like a peripheral player that that uh, that benefits from you know guys like Pau Gasol in the post who are getting get drawing in defenses and stuff like that. Um, you know, obviously you bring up Alfred Payton. I think he's had two straight triple doubles. Um, I believe I believe that's correct. I haven't watched a lot of Magic games this season. I will, <laughs> I'll put my hands up and say and say that, but. I know he's, you know, from when I've seen it, like he's he's been playing well. Uh, his shooting is an issue. I think that was an issue coming in from out of college, but but he's going to be he's a fun player to watch. Like he's just a guy who's just kind of pushes the ball and and, and gets all his big man involved. And I think he's he, he's had a nice little season. But uh, Wiggins, like you said, he's just he's kind of head and shoulders above above the other candidates in this one. Yeah, um, should we move on to the defensive player of the year? Because there's not really a lot to do. Rookie's just sort of, it's Wiggins, and that's pretty much yeah, it. Yeah, it's Wiggins. <laughs> Wiggins should win. I, I think we can predict, we could put money on this one, and we'd probably, we wouldn't get, we wouldn't get very generous odds, but <laughs> I, think we'd be right. I think we'd be right if we bet on Wiggins. 
So defensive player of the year. This one is one where I th- well we could be quite divided, but th- there's some phenomenal players in it, that could be in this category this year. You look at the likes of Draymond Green, uh, DeAndre Jordan's been phenomenal. Marcus Sol is just doing you know unreal things for for Memphis. This is so hard, like picking one of these because like you've put Rudy Gobert on there, and I thoroughly agree. Like I wrote a piece about Rudy Gobert before um, Utah started doing what they're doing because Utah are on a tear right now. But yeah. he's one like if you're a European NBA fan, he is one of the guys to watch. He's that sort of reminds me almost of Tony Parker, just sort of coming out and you know progressing and progressing and progressing to the point where he will be a star. He's got everything he needs. He's just going to have to develop it. And I he I don't for me this year he's not my defensive player of the year. He's been phenomenal. Like he's got all the nicknames, Stifle Tower and things like that. I think <laughs> the Jazz have won something like twelve of their last fifteen games since the All Star break, which is which is insane, but um, yeah. for me, it's Draymond Green. Like the sensational improvement from him has just been unbelievable, and he, he's he's got modest scoring. He's not he's not an all out. You know, he won't go out and get you Clay Thompson, Stephen Curry numbers, but he'll get you he'll get you something. He's averaging four point one assists a game, which is really good, and it helps balance the offense they've got there in Golden State. So for me, right now, it, it's Draymond Green because he's just been phenomenal. I don't think anybody saw this coming from this guy. Yeah. I- Draymond Green could win a couple of awards. <laughs> like, oh, like <laughs> I don't know when the last time a player's won two different awards, like it, two awards in the same season. But like, we'll talk about it later. Like, he he's a candidate for most improved too. Like, just yeah. how he's blossomed under Steve Kerr. But my my, I guess one of my credentials with um, with defensive player of the year is first, like, I look at the defensive rankings of the teams, and so like, I want my defensive player on the year, of the year to be on a team that's like a top ten defensive team. Like, so like. Just to start with DeAndre Jordan, I know Doc Rivers has been really promoting his guy. Like he says that he, if there is, if DeAndre Jordan doesn't win Defensive Player of the Year, it should be an investigation. <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. Like DeAndre Jordan's been a beast. Like there's no doubting that, and he's like his rebounding is phenomenal. And and Doc Rivers is is right in saying that like rebounding is important because once you get the defensive rebound, the possession ends. So, um, but like if you look at the rankings for, for defense. Uh, the Clippers are the 18th best defensive team in the league, and I just I would not feel right giving like my defensive player of the year award to to a team that isn't even in the top 15 defensively. But you have to make more of an impact. So it's Draymond Green for me too. Like the Golden State Warriors are the best defensive team in in the league. Uh, they uh, they're giving up only 97.7 uh, points per 100 possessions right now. They're uh, they're ahead of Milwaukee. You know, quite comfortably ahead of Milwaukee as the best defensive team. And so then you look, okay, who's the best defender on the best defensive team? And it's Draymond Green. Like, Bogut's really good when he's healthy, but he's been in and out of the lineup. And when he's been out, like, the Warriors are still really good. And one of the reasons is because Green is so good. Like, he's so versatile. I think they were playing him as a as a center, and the guy's like 6'7". And obviously they can't get away with that against teams like Memphis in the playoffs, but they can. he's, he's good enough that they can put, plug him in there and they still don't get killed. Um, there was a game the other week where they played the Clippers and he was defending DeAndre Jordan and he was like, the guy is giving up like six inches, but he's still strong enough and savvy enough not to, uh, you know, to be able to defend a guy like that. And he's just, he's so quick. He can come out, he can defend wings because he's small enough and he's still got good, good speed, but he's also like a strong enough guy that you can plug him in as a power forward and he can do that kind of, uh, you know, do that kind of dirty work where he's having to to defend a guy that's trying to post him up. So, for me, for me again, it, yeah, it's Draymond Green, and, and and again, it's just it's just a simple thing. It's like 
he's the best defender on the best defensive team. Which is really weird, considering they've got Andrew Bogut and Andre Iguodala. Like, when yeah. Iggy signed for that team, everyone's like, right, this is it. They're, they're now going to take that next step to becoming, you know, the perfect defensive team, because that's what Iggy brings. But Draymond Green, for me, and I read this somewhere earlier on, like, he he kind of reminds everybody of someone like Sean Marion in that, that Sun system. Yeah. He just fits in, does the job he needs to do, helps space the floor, helps give the other guys, you know, the shooters... The, the space they need to do their job and he's not he's not like a superstar or anything I mean people are, I think Jeff Van Gundy's come out and said he deserves to get a max contract and stuff I mean I don't know whether you can go that far people like Bruce Bowen and, and other you know all out defensive players have never warranted sort of that sort of a contract so it'll be interesting to see what does happen come this summer but he's just he looks like a regular guy playing basketball and that's what's so great about him and you mentioned them putting him in at centre because he is this regular guy he, he's not this Muscly, overwhelming freak. He is just—he just looks like a normal bloke they picked up yeah. off the, off the, off the side of the road and White said, "Do you want to? Yeah, do you want to play basketball?" And he's come in <laughs> and he, and that's why it's so great. You you don't have many players in the NBA who one minute could be swatting Dirk Nowitzki, next minute stealing the ball off Kyrie Irving. I mean, that's that's yeah. how good his skill set is. He could be the finesse defensive player and steal the ball off the guys who've got the best handles in the league. Or he can block, you know, someone like Dirk, who's been a phenomenal player throughout his NBA career. So they've really, they've really jumped on one there. But I think him and uh, Rudy Gobert, who we mentioned a minute ago, I think they're just going to be jumping between these two categories for like the next few years because they're both, they've both still got a huge ceiling to reach. But I don't think we could overlook someone like Marcus Sol, who's had a, a great yeah. year with, with Memphis. I just think because he's in Memphis, they kind of always get overlooked. Do you always, do you always think that they're always that one team that yeah. nobody really looks at because it's Memphis? I mean, I mean, yeah, that's true. I think I think it started to change. Like, obviously, Marc Gasol won the Defensive Player of the Year last season, uh, and I think they they started off slow defensively. Like, they they were much, they're a much better offensive team this season, ironically. But they've really kind of pegged it back in the last uh, few weeks. Like, I think they're the third best defensive team in the league now, according to points per possession. But yeah, you're right. Like, they're not always like they're not always the sexiest picks. Uh, Gasol is phenomenal. Like, I, I think people kind of judge defense still too often on steals and blocks and Gasol's not one of those guys that puts up a lot of numbers in terms of blocks but if you watch him a guy will start driving towards the rim and Gasol will be there in the exact perfect position and the guy will just okay I better change my route I better go somewhere else I better pass the ball so that what he does in terms of altering shots and and kind of scaring away a guy from getting in his area is almost just as important as making those kind of highlight reel uh, blocks but he, he's phenomenal like such a such an intelligent player always knows where to be on the court defensively um so yeah I, I, he could you know he's he's a candidate tim duncan has been amazing like i don't <laughs> understand how that guy still still does it like at the age that he's at like san antonio again is is one of the best defensive teams they've really picked it up and and i think even more impressive is the fact that tony parker has been playing he's picked it up recently but he's been pretty average for most of the season ginobili's had issues so duncan is like almost being the best best player on that team. Kawhi Leonard's been injured for, for a lot of the year. So for that guy at that age to still to still be playing at a high level at both ends of the floor is is, is crazy. He does a lot of things that, that people find it dirty, you know, like the illegal screens. He has this thing where a guy goes up to try and to try and score and, you know, Duncan puts one hand up to block the shot, but his other hand he's dragging the guy guy down <laughs> dirty like He's so savvy. It's just like that kind of. He has that old man defensive game where he knows all the little tricks in the book to try and uh, to try and stop his uh, opponent from scoring. But 
again, this is like MVP. There's so many good candidates, uh, uh, you know, in contention. I think I think if Gobert had, like, if Utah had a better record and if, if they'd started, they had such a terrible start, and if Gobert was, like, featured more at the beginning of the season, like pre-NS Cantor trade, um, then I think he would be, like, a real, real candidate because I, I think you mentioned, Matt, like, they're, they're one of the hottest teams in the league uh, since the All-Star break, and he's just... The numbers, I don't have them in front of me, but the, like when players, like when he's at the rim, players trying to score, it's like good luck, no chance. Like you are not scoring at the rim when Rudy Gobert has got his feet set and he's in position. Uh, he's been phenomenal. He's, he's definitely a player to watch in the future. He could be like a multiple, uh, defensive player of the year, kind of like a Dikembe Mutombo kind of has that kind of impact on a game. Yeah. His stats don't really jump off the page, but they're, they're there and they're consistent every single night when they play. I think the problem the Jazz had towards the start of the season was obviously they had Derek Favors and Edith Cantor playing together, both yeah. very large, ball-dominant forwards. Rudy Gobert Rudy plays off the ball a lot because he just loves the defensive end. And you watch... I think LeBron, they played the Cavs and LeBron tried to shoot over him and then you just saw him mouthing off to the bench. He's like, Jesus, how long is that guy? It's just <laughs> unreal. So... I think we've we've got the the best is yet to come from Rudy Gobert, so I can't wait to see what he uh, develops into over the next couple of seasons. Um, sixth Man of the Year award. I mean, you've put down Lou Williams, Isaiah Thomas, Maurice Spates, and Jamal Crawford. I don't really know who I'd pick out of this one because it's a bit of an odd one. I think Lou's had a huge impact in Toronto when he's played. He's kind of kept them in a lot of the games this season. But you look at what Isaiah Thomas has done since he's joined the Celtics, and I just think he has to go to the top of the pecking order right now. Yeah, it's my pick would probably be Isaiah Thomas. Uh, he's been it's a weird it's weird to say because like a guy to win an award when he's been traded in the season yeah. is a weird because it it's not the best. Um, you know, it, it doesn't look the best on you when you've been traded for reasons that are related to chemistry issues and maybe your teammates don't don't like you as much. But he's been really good and 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 been a big part of like Boston's recent resurgence. And so, like, for all the issues that he had in Phoenix, with partly weren't his fault, really. They're trying to fit in three point guards in the system really didn't work. Um, so I think, I, I think, I think he'd edge it. Um, Jamal Crawford's just like, he might as well be in contention every year because he's, <laughs> he's always a guy that gets hot off the bench. And I think he's a two time winner. He's actually, he won it last year. So he's always a contender. Uh, it's just one of those things like, do you want to give it to another guy? Um, from a Raptors perspective, just from watching a lot of Raptors games, Lou Williams, like, I think he has to be, I, I'd say, I'd say it's him between him and Isaiah Thomas because, like, Lou Williams, he's frustrating in the sense that when he doesn't have his shot going, he still keeps trying to shoot and yeah. he'll have those nights where he goes three for 15 and you'll be like, God, you're just, you know, you're kind of killing the offense. But, uh, when he's on, he's on and, and, he plays the same way all the time, and sometimes he's hot, sometimes he's not. But he's been a really important player for the Raptors this year. Just in you know when DeRozan hasn't had it going, which has been a lot this season. Terrence Ross has been you know playing; he's kind of regressed, and so he, they really needed Lou Williams to scoring. His his percentages aren't great uh, in terms of like from the floor, but he's averaging 15 points a game, which is really solid for, for a sixth man. Uh, and he, he, like I don't know, like. He, I'd like to see a list of everyone that's bit on his like shot fake from from three point range this season. Like he just like I don't think anyone goes to the line shooting three free throws more than he does. Like people just need to stop biting on his shot fake because 
he just gets guys up in the air and they foul him. So he's been really effective. But uh, I'd give it to Isaiah Thomas um, personally. Yeah, he's one. Of, I think he's just one of the most relentless players in the NBA. Even even when he was back playing for for the Kings and then the Suns, he's just been one of these guys who's constantly there, getting involved, nagging people. I think he was ejected against the Lakers a few weeks ago, and it's just that sort of that's his attitude. That's just the, you know, Marcus Smart got told off for punching somebody the other day. I think it was I think it was Matt Bonner, but you know, he's him and him and Marcus Smart have got this weird thing going on there where they both can be incredibly aggressive players each and every night. But Isaiah is just one of those relentless guys who's constantly getting to the rim, constantly getting fouled, throwing up crazy shots, and somehow making them. I mean, back when he was playing with Phoenix, he wondered. How how they'd have done if they'd have maybe just played him a lot of the nights and not gone with everybody else. So I think right now it's it's, it's Isaiah, but Lou has been you know great when he when he's played. He's just been a bit of a bit of a fire 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 starter for them. He's just up and down like yeah yeah. But Maurice Spates, I mean he's he's hanging around. I, Jamal Crawford, I just guess is always there, like you said. So yeah, it's always there or thereabouts. Yeah, Isaiah Thompson. So, um... Sorry to interrupt. He's he's averaging twenty one points a game for since since he's been traded to Boston, which is and they're in the eighth seed, and they're in the eighth seed, which is really impressive because he only plays twenty twenty five twenty six minutes a game. So to put up those kind of numbers in that in that uh, in that time on the court, and he's he's shooting at a higher efficiency than Lou Williams. Uh, so that's another kind of t- uh, check mark in his uh, in his favor. Yeah, they've been effective as well. He's, I think he was one of the key catalysts in them beating the Heat recently, which was a massive, massive game in that sort of 7th, 8th race. So he's yeah. come up big when they've needed it to. Um, most improved, we mentioned Rudy Gobert and Draymond Green earlier, so we'll kind of get them two guys out of the way. But you've got Clay Thompson, Jimmy Butler, Jalas Antetokounmpo. There's quite a few guys you could probably stick into this category this year. I mean, Jimmy Butler's yeah. been sensational with obviously Derek Rose having the injury problems. Clay Thompson's emerged from Stephen Curry's shadow. I mean, I mentioned it earlier. That's probably one of the reasons Stephen Curry hasn't been as uh, unanimously voted for the MVP as he as he probably should be. But Giannis has been amazing. I saw him play in London. That guy is a freak. Like he's just unbelievable. And who would have thought going back, you know, two two or three seasons that the Bucks would be fighting for a playoff spot? And they're they're sixth. They could even get. I think they could they they could possibly get fifth, depending on how. Washington do. I don't really know what they're doing at the moment. So, <laughs> yeah, it, the Bucks are a great story. They've they sort of they've, they've been struggling recently, but but Giannis is like they're they're another team that you kind of look at them and you almost wonder how they have the record that they have because you look at their players and you think like there's not like a kind of a superstar on this team. Uh-huh. And Parker being injured, like Giannis has had to do so much, and he does a lot on both ends. And yeah, he's really kind of made a jump from from his rookie season to to where he is now. So. Yeah, he's been he's been impressive. Again, they've gone from they went from the worst team in the league last season to to a team that's now you know should be in the playoffs, um, albeit that they've been struggling recently. So he he's definitely a candidate. I mean, uh, my, uh, Clay Thompson again, like you said, Matt, like he he's been really good. But my my pick would be Jimmy Butler just just because of of, of where he's gone from last season to this season. Like he's uh, looking at his stats, he, he averaged 13 points per game last year on 37%, sh- 39% shooting. Uh, this season, he's jumped seven points a game. Uh, he's now averaging 20 points a game, uh, 46% from the floor, 35% from three point range. Um, that's a huge jump, like, in, in the space of one season to go from, to, to go from 13 to 20. Uh, and it, you know, his PR, uh, PR has gone from 13.5 to 21.2. 
really impressive. Like he was always a guy that you kind of thought, okay, well he's more of a role player, like defensive first uh, type of player. He can catch and shoot a bit, but he's just become a guy that can actually score off the dribble this season, which has been really important for the Bulls with Derrick Rose's injuries. And, you know, they've traditionally had a hard time creating shots. Uh, and so he's fallen off a bit from where he was like early season when people were talking about him as like an MVP candidate, but he's been really good this season. And just the statistical jump from him has been like bigger than anyone else, like in the group that we're talking about. Yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree. I think he's been phenomenal. I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to say that mine would be Rudy Gobert just because I think we should spice it up and make yeah. it because we, we'll just agree on everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can't disagree. Yeah, we're going to have <laughs> but I, I, I put Rudy Gobert in there for my most improved because he played 45 games for the Jazz last year. I think he averaged something like 2.3 points a game, and he was yes. only playing sort of nine to ten minutes. He's jumped into this lineup now. Cantor's been traded. They were not going to give him the money he wanted, which was fair enough. And he had a phenomenal summer. Uh, I think it was the game against Spain where he basically just destroyed power Mark Gasol. I mean, those guys, yeah. and Serge Ibaka, sorry, I mean, that, that, that's an NBA, you know, an all-star NBA front court there that he basically demolished. He's shooting above 60% this season. He's just upped every single part of his game this year. So I really think that Rudy is, like I said earlier, he is the, the one to watch right now. He's just been in, incredible. And I just think it's great to see, um, a, you know, a European basketball player having such an impact and being one of the guys that people are talking about. I mean, it isn't just us. It's it's CBS. It's the BS report. It's all these other shows. They are all talking about Rudy Gobert, and it's just really, really good to hear that you know somebody who isn't native and you know isn't from America and doesn't play basketball as like their first sport to just come over and have such a big impact, despite the fact he wasn't really a known a known factor going over there, is is a great thing. And I think Quinn Schneider's really got the best out of him this season, and him and Dante Exum and you know the other guys that they've got there in. In Utah, they're all becoming, they all get gelling and they're having a lot of fun. You see their Instagram posts and their tweets and things. They could be a really, really good team in the next, you know, decade or so. But the problem they've got is they're in that Western Conference. And like we yes. said earlier, if you're someone like Minnesota or Utah, it doesn't matter how good you are, you've got to be better because there's just so many good teams from sort of one to nine. I mean, you look at the Pelicans, I think in a couple of years' time, you could argue that. Utah and, and Minnesota would be more talented than them, but purely because they've got someone like Anthony Davis, they're always going to be a factor. So for me, like my most improved would be Rudy Gobert, but I don't think you can really go wrong with, with any of the, like, the five that we've said because they've all been phenomenal. The one thing I've got against Janice winning it would be that a lot of the plays, he's, he, a lot of his highlight plays, they're against guys that he would naturally score over anyway. He's not doing it against anybody necessarily out of the blue whereas you've got Rudy Gobert blocking some of the better players and, and Jimmy Butler's just been well an all-around monster for them I think Chicago are just going to be so incredibly thankful that he's emerged the way he has with what's going on with Derrick Rose so it's just a good thing for them yeah I think that there isn't like a bad choice really out, out of like the guys that we've shortlisted like they're all guys that are deserving winners but you know so Rudy Rudy Gobert, absolutely, and uh, like the Utah Jazz has have a better record than the Boston Celtics. Like yeah. they would be, but they would be in the playoffs right now if they were in the Eastern Conference. Um, so like, it's it's tough that they're in the West and that they've had the start that they've had. But he's had a major, major impact on that team defensively. Um, and and like you said, Matt, like that's a team that that should be pretty decent going forward. Like Dante Exum at the point guard position, Gordon Hayward. Um, as their kind of primary scorer on the wing, and then Rudy Gobert, and you know whether you pair him up with David uh, Derek Favors or or whoever at power forward, like that's a team that 
with a front line that's going to be kind of scary defensively. So Rudy Gobert would definitely be a, a worthy winner of, this, uh, of, of most improved for sure. Yeah, I think they've given Burks a big contract as well, so they're obviously quite keen on um, keeping him there. But uh, I guess we should finish with Coach of the Year. This is, I don't know, would this be the hardest out of all of them so far? Because I just think it's... It's tough. It is really tough. Um, our, our short list is, is Steph... Uh, Steph, I'm sorry. Steve Kerr. Um, well, Steph Curry. Yeah, yeah. Mike <laughs> Budenholzer, uh, Jason Kidd in Milwaukee, obviously, and then Frank Vogel. Um, Frank Vogel, wow. Like, what Indiana had done without Paul George has been incredible. Jason Kidd, for me, would be the outside bet in this because of what Milwaukee have done, but I guess it's between Mike Budaholzer and Steve Kerr in reality. Yeah, like like Frank Vogel's done a great job uh, without Paul George and obviously Lance Stevenson leaving, and Jason Kidd's been great molding that team into a, like a playoff team. But yeah, like generally speaking, you got it got got to come down to the to the teams with the with the best records. I mean, someone said that Greg Popovich should just win this every year because <laughs> technically he is the best coach in the league, but. You've got to give it to one of these, the coach of one of these two teams. Um, it's really tough because, like, Steve Kerr came into a situation where, like, that team was underachieving under Mark Jackson. The offense wasn't wasn't playing how they should play given the pieces that they had at their disposal. And he's done a really good job just turning that team around, making them fun to watch. Got rid of all the terrible, ugly iso- isolation basketball that they were playing last season, and now they're like the best offensive, offensive, and the best defensive team in the league. Like they're fifty six and thirteen, they're going to win well over sixty games. Uh, they should be the best team in the league. They should have home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Um, so he's been really good. Uh, Mike Budenholzer is my pick purely because his yeah. team isn't as talented as Steve Kerr. Like you know, they've had a little bit of a tough tough go of it recently. They lost today. Uh, they lost to the Spurs, ironically to Greg Popovich and the Spurs. They got waxed pretty badly, but. Um, but that team is going to win 60 games this year. They're 53 and 17. Team with no superstars. Like their success is just predicated on, you know, having some very good players, which they do have, but also just the style they play, spacing the floor, shooting everyone, just giving up good shots to get great shots. And defensively, they've been solid too. And like Steve Kerr, I'd be totally fine if he won the award, but I just think it's easier to coach a team with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and, Andrew Bogut and Draymond Green to 60 wins than it is to coach a team with, you know, where Al Horford is your best player. He's a great player, don't get me wrong, but he's not in the Steph Curry superstar mold. So, like, Budenholzer has just, has just, uh, has turned that team into a, to a really, really fun, really good team in the East. And he would be my pick uh, for coach of the year. Yeah, I, I think I'd pick Mike as well. Kerr's done a phenomenal thing, you know, coming in, being, sort of first-time coach, but Mark Jackson set the foundation for that team. He turned them into that sort of defensive, could play small ball if they wanted to team, and and now Steve Kerr is just getting the best out of them, and he's gone in there. He obviously played a set position when he played in the NBA, so he's coming in, he's got these guys around him, these shooters, and they, they he's just basically given everything they need to them and to improve their game. So I think Jason Kidd would be like my outside bet if I wanted to just disagree with you. I think I'd go for Jason Kidd. Yeah, purely because of what he's done with Milwaukee is sensational. He's built a defense first team. Michael Carter Williams, like everyone was like bit up and air as to what was going on with that trade. That's been great for them. Like he's a, he is Jason Kidd point two. He's just going to be a good solid all round player for like you know however long his NBA career lasts. So I just 
I just think this category is so difficult because if Steve Kerr wins it, you can't really go against it because they've won 56 games. They've been phenomenal. They play such great basketball. But then you look at Atlanta without the superstar and they haven't blown it up. They didn't go and make a silly trade and try and do something ridiculous. They've just stuck with their guys. Jeff Teague's been phenomenal. I've been really high on Jeff Teague for like since we started doing this podcast. Like He's always been one of those guys I've been you know, willing to watch and he's just come out and been great this year. But it's just a difficult category. I think it's, it would be, for me, it'd be between Mike and, and Jason Kidd, but I don't think you could complain with anybody winning it, really. Yeah, it's tough. I, as I was reeling off, like, Steve Kerr's achievements with the team this season, like, best defense, best offense, I was like, why am I not picking Steve yeah. Kerr? <laughs> I just thought it was like I was talking myself into Steve Kerr, but, uh, but yeah, like, any of those guys, for different reasons, obviously, but I think, I'd be more comfortable giving it to um, to a coach of a team that was one of the best teams in, the, in in their respective conferences. So, so for me, if Kerr wins it, that's totally cool. If Budenholzer wins it, that's cool. But like, if I had a vote, which I obviously do not have, <laughs> <laughs> I would pick Budenholzer. I think maybe you might have an outside bet of someone like Eric Spolstra if if Miami get in the playoffs because of yes. all, the prob- all the problems they've had this year. I mean, they've had Wade right. injured, Bosch out. Then they've had all the, the trouble. How Hassan Whiteside's come out of nowhere. Wade's having some sort of rejuvenation now. It's just been so up and down. But there's a bunch of teams in this league. You look at Memphis, Dallas, all these good teams that have got good coaches, but they just they they won't get the limelight because there's been some really really standout teams this year. Yeah, like Brad Stevens has been good. Uh, Kevin McHale. He just doesn't like losing. No, 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 no. He's yeah, exactly. He 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 is like the worst coach to have if you're trying to. Tank. <laughs> If you want to be Danny Ainge and you're trying to tank, and like if you're trying to tank, you should hire Vinny Del Negro or uh, Scott Brooks or uh, Monty Williams or Jack Vaughn or someone like that. Like those are the teams that you want to tank with, you have coaches that you want to tank with. But um, but Kevin McHale too, like like that's not a that's not a star-studded roster after James Harden. Like we were talking yeah. about James Harden, what he's done for that team. But McHale's the coach of that team, of course, and I think he he deserves some credit um, with, with with you know considering how good of a record they have, and, and that should partly reflect upon upon his coaching too. Yeah, it's it's an evil one. I think Stotts in Portland as well is someone yeah. that you've probably got to look at because they've been phenomenal. Like They may have all these problems going on. I, mean, I think LaMarcus Aldridge has gone down injured again today, so it's another hurdle for them to get over. But it's just it's been such a great season so far. The playoffs are coming up. I've booked, just booked two weeks off from work to watch some of the playoffs, which is going to be good, so... Yeah, we'll be around and just <laughs> be watching as much basketball as I think is physically possible. Um, the website, as usual, guys, is doubleclutchpodcast.co.uk. Please go check it out. I think Ross posted an article last week about the uh, the playoff race at the moment and how fitness yeah. is playing a big a big part of that. So please go check that out. That's a good read. Really good. Really yeah. good. And uh, yeah, the Twitter is just uh, doubleclutchuk. Oh, we did get an iTunes review. Before we do go, I'll try and fire it up. We did get another iTunes review. This is where my computer bails on me. Wait for it. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. it's a good one. Thanks to cheaper, cheaper, uh, the, 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 Cheap As Chips. Uh, this was left on the 12th of March 2015. Uh, five stars, no-nonsense podcast. And he put, good to have a UK-based podcast that caters for hoops heads this side of the pond. It's not done, uh, dumbed down for the newbie, which I find amazing positive. And he's just put, there's no adverts either. Though, maybe if popularity increases, they might get paid. So keep up the good works, guys. Uh, (laughs) We wouldn't mind having adverts, but (laughs) I guess it makes the viewing, the listening experience a little bit better. 
Yeah, we're not, we're not, we're, we're not, you know, aiming to get paid or anything. But if you did want to fling yeah, us, that's some, right. yeah, anyone if you want to give us an advert or something, then we'll happily pay us to advertise. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> right, um, I guess we'll catch you next week, guys. Thank you for Cheers, listening. Uh, enjoy the basketball, but we'll be back. Uh, I guess every next Monday. Basically, since October, you've already been operating under the premise that you are retired, but yeah. now to actually put it in print, so to yeah. speak, what are the emotions that it's Yeah, I mean, official. It's weird, you know, like you play this game for so many years. I mean, 18 plus years in the NBA. It's just a weird transition. You know, there's an, I mean, every athlete goes through it. You know, a lot of people say that an athlete dies twice. And in some ways, you know, without being salacious, that's... It's true, you know, like if you want to enjoy and be happy the rest of your life, you have to in some ways say goodbye to your former self and, and that's not easy. But I think just knowing that I'm going to have to deal with this and I'm going to have to accept it and, and find new ways to, you know, challenge myself and enjoy myself, uh, you know, I think I'll get there. Take us back to October. How did you and the Lakers arrive at the decision that you would sit out the season? I finally, you know, realized it wasn't happening, you know. Um, I'd been rehabbing and fighting to get back on the court for the majority of 18 months and training twice a day. It was like, in some ways, in the best shape of my life. In other ways, you know, over that 18 months, I'd played so little. I, I just was like so unprepared to kind of wave the white flag in respects. And it even sounds, it even, pisses me off to say that right now like it makes me want to like go try again but you know the reality is it's it, it wasn't going to happen what was your relationship like with kobe as a teammate and it was a great experience for me to to see how he works um at the same time we barely played any games together and we've both been injured the vast majority of, of my time here so frustrating disappointing um in the big picture but it was it was also a great experience just to you know to be around him see the way he approaches the game. I had incredibly high hopes coming here. You know, I was excited and inspired and, and wanted to do great things in the city. And, you know, it didn't happen. But a big part of why I came here was because I wanted to be in the fire. I wanted to be judged. I wanted to be under pressure in my last chapter. I didn't want to, you know, fade off. But like a Carl Malone, like a Charles Barkley, you know how it is. You win MVP trophies, but if you don't have championships, people throw that in your face what is that like just to to get that question that's fine like that's fair game i don't i don't uh hide from that i didn't win a championship i don't get caught up in legacy or or where i fit in and, and that's never the reason i played the game you know i always played the game for the moment for the opportunity the challenge uh, i try to get better to try to you know transform myself into a better player and if i leave anything behind i hope it's that i was a great teammate and a great competitor and you know, if, if people, if a, if the, a championship is a huge component in in your success, that's fine. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't affect the way how much I enjoyed my career. You know, I'll always be be disappointed. I never won a championship for sure. Um, but you know, there's a lot more life as well. <laughs>